You probably know that North Koreans aren't free to worship the one true God or meet together in churches like we do here in the United States. But instead of completely eliminating church, the North Korean government has tried to set up a hollow alternative. Here's Dr. Eric Foley. Every week, you will see 100% of North Koreans uh, in buildings that look a lot like our church buildings. Only in the front, instead of a cross, you would see a big portrait of Kim Il-sung. And someone goes up to the front and they sing from the, the Kim Il-sung hymnal, 600 songs of praise, uh, many of which uh, you would know. Songs like, How Great Thou Art, it was sung at the funeral of North Korea's former leader. It was sung to Kim Il-sung, How Great You, Kim Il-sung, Are. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're gonna talk about one of the most fascinating countries in the world today, and uh, it's fascinating to me. I think it'll be fascinating to you as well. We're gonna talk about North Korea, and in order to do that, we have Eric Foley with us, Dr. Eric Foley now, <laughs> uh, in the studio with us. He is the president of VOM Korea. He's also the author of a book called These Are the Generations, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, Eric, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Always good to come on and be able to do the radio show with you, Todd. Thank you. I think North Korea is just endlessly fascinating. I think so, I think too. that, uh, you know, as, as I have read and as I have studied and looked, it— if you wanted to be as different as possible from life in the United yeah. States, there's not many places <laughs> you could go that would work better than North Korea. It is just completely different from what we experience. Recently, you know, in the last couple of years, Kim Jong-un is now the, the leader mm. of North Korea, uh, taking over for his father, taking mm. over for his grandfather, the founder of the country. What difference has that made? You know, he was uh, partially educated in the West, and there was great talk right. when he became the leader. Oh, you know, he was educated in the West. This is going to be a thaw in relationships. This is going to be way different. What's the truth? Right. About... And, it, and it sure wasn't us who were talking about that, was it, Tom? <laughs> no, I mean, no, it wasn't uh... us. Uh, but that was kind of the, the party line was, well, you know— He's open to Western right. ideas. He's young. He's young. He likes is, basketball. He, oh, he likes Dennis Rodman. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So he must gonna, be a good guy. That's right. No, so I, so yeah. how is it really in North right. Korea? Is it different? Is it the same? What What's going on there? First of all, I appreciate the way you framed that question, Todd, because if there's any misconception I could correct about North Korea, it would be the idea that North Korea never changes, that it's stuck in time. Uh, anytime that uh, I see North Korea uh, in a TV report uh, where people are talking about conditions there, always it's the same thing. It's the voice saying, North Korea. And then they show the soldiers <laughs> goose-stepping and the people starving and the you know statues. And, and so that's the picture people have in their mind, and they assume that it, it might as well be 1970 in North Korea. And that picture is simply not accurate. Uh, just so many developments are taking place on a— weekly basis, Todd, that mean that we should always be reconsidering our strategy in North Korea and our understanding of that country. First of all, you mentioned that uh, the, nowhere could be more different than the United States than North Korea. And the interesting thing is how obsessed North Korea is with the United States. 
if it weren't for the United <laughs> States, there couldn't be a North Korea because North Korea self-consciously styles itself in opposition to everything that is American, everything that is Western. And so its opposition to Christianity is that Christianity is an American religion. Whatever the U.S. does, North Korea is going to take exception to it and see it as, as, a, as a pointed threat to the North Korean state. At one level, we could say that hasn't changed since the 1970s, that North Korea still pursues that same approach. On the other hand, it's interesting how I think people are surprised to see how much information that North Korea shares uh, with its people about the U.S. So, funny story was that we had an underground North Korean Christian uh, who had uh, defected to South Korea, which is rare, by the way. Uh, Christians are underrepresented among defectors. They stay in North Korea because they feel that's their calling. But we had taken him to the United States to be able to speak. And so we were in Florida, and as we were walking around, we said, well, what do you think compared to what you thought? He said, well, there's, I'm just surprised there's no gunfire. <laughs> I thought he would say something like, wow, these homes are really nice. Yeah. He said, we're taught in North Korea that uh, wherever you go in America, there's gunfire, that uh, always people are shooting each other. But see, that's why that's something that happened, for example, in uh, the situation, tragic situation that happened in Roseburg has repercussions in Pyongyang. And so people, are, people in the U.S., I think, don't realize how much North Korea keeps up on current events in the U.S. and how much that shapes what North Korean people know. Now, in terms of what else has changed, though, in North Korea, uh, the North Korean military is downsizing, and they're downsizing in order to be a more efficient fighting force. Uh, their goal is to win a war. This is not a state that's in its final stages looking at the end game, trying to figure out how to fold well. This is a state that's entered into its next phase of development. Keep in mind uh, that North Korea sits atop between three and six trillion dollars of rare earth minerals. And they're now in the process of determining how to mine that. It's very high-tech work, and so they don't know how to do it, but they create contracts with, uh, with the Chinese who do know how to do it, Japanese who do know how to do it. They're working with Russia on setting up a railway across Korea and also a petroleum pipeline. This is a country that's very much on the move at that official level. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that relate to change at uh, the level of life of an ordinary North Korean? We like to call this new generation the black market generation. Their life is not primarily determined by loyalty to the state, uh, that hasn't changed in the sense that everyone still bows to the statues of Kim Il-sung. You don't have a choice in that. 100% of people still going to the self-criticism meetings every week because they're required to. But the state no longer supplies a subsistence level of food or goods to the individual North Korean family or person. And so as a result of that, people in this generation are just accustomed to providing for themselves. Now, we might look at that as a welcome development until we realize that part of what it means to be in the black market generation is, is that you learn that lying is the only way to survive. And so what we're seeing as we work with North Koreans in China and North Korean defectors in South Korea is that for North Koreans, truth is even more fluid than it was before. Uh, we've always seen North Koreans good at lying. Uh, today, uh, it is that the truth is almost impossible to obtain. So, uh, you know, interesting because that some places in the United States are teaching a similar philosophy. That's you what know, I was going to, you know, that's exactly is, what I was going to point truth out. Truth is whatever we make. That's it. right. It's, Your it's truth very much is different from my sure, truth. Sure. We and, call it postmodernism. <laughs> and there, and, and postmodernism has a North Korean counterpart. And that counterpart is that ordinary North Koreans learn that whatever it takes to survive, that's what is true. You know, uh, who is it? I think some famous uh, American actor or actress says, This is my truth. Right. 
right? And that's what a North Korean could yeah. say these days. Because well, I is, need to eat tonight. Right. So this is this truth is my for truth. Me. Yeah. Right. You mentioned the self-criticism sessions, and, mm-hmm. I, and I want to talk a little bit about those because the last time I was in South Korea meeting with North Koreans, we kind of unpacked that a little bit, and it it is both creepy and mind-blowing that they do this every week. Tell us what that is in in the life of a North Korean, those weekly self-criticism sessions. Well, let me preface it by by noting a story that when Kim Il-sung was growing up, he was in church every week because his mother would take him to church every week. But when they got to church, his mother would fall asleep. She would always sleep through the service. And so he used to love to tell North Koreans that story because the way he tell the story is he asked his mother, Mother, why do you sleep in church? And she said, it's the only place that I can rest. And then he would point his finger and thunder out and say, that is the problem with Christianity is it puts Koreans to sleep. And uh, Korea is asleep, and we need to wake them up to to uh, American imperialism. But keep in mind that he was in church every week, right. and uh, he was a careful student of what he saw. Right. And so that's why in North Korea every week, you will see 100% of North Koreans uh, in buildings that look a lot like our church buildings. Um, only in the front instead of a cross, which I guess <laughs> sometimes we don't see that in church buildings <laughs> much in the West these days either. But uh, you would see a big portrait of Kim Il-sung. And someone goes up to the front and they sing from the, the Kim Il-sung hymnal, 600 songs of praise, uh, many of which uh, you would know. Uh, I think it's fascinating that, you know, of course, the great hymn, How Great Thou Art, that was sung at Kim Il-sung's funeral. <laughs> but it was it was not sung about uh, God. With, with uh, different words. Right. It was sung to Kim Il-sung. How great you, Kim Il-sung, are. And so after the singing, then they read from the sacred writings of Kim Il-sung, which, again, those are things that you would recognize. You know, North Korea's ten principles, the first of which you shall have no greater loyalty than the loyalty you have to Kim Il-sung. Does that sound familiar? Just so, It is just a complete counterfeit. Oh, absolutely. And that's why it is uh, with my wife and I, when we meet North Koreans for the first time in China uh, or among our staff uh, with the basis that Voice of the Martyrs uh, supports through the generosity of uh, listeners— it is not uncommon for us when we evangelize North Koreans for them to say, why are you copying us? <laughs> because they, even to the point of being Trinitarian. Right. I mean, North Korean Juche ideology is Trinitarian. They're better Trinitarians than we are in a lot of ways. So it's you. the interesting thing to me is how that inoculates them against the gospel by saying, oh, yeah, I've already heard that. Right. I, I don't you know, I don't need your hymnal. I've got my own. I don't right. need your holy writings. I've got my own. Uh, yeah, I already, I've, yeah, I've been there. And that's why that. it, it is it is also a wrong idea that North Koreans have never heard of Christianity. A hundred percent of North Koreans know about Christianity. They know about Christian missionaries. It's just what they're taught right. is so different. And so they're, you know, they're taught uh, the stories that American missionaries are so kind when you first meet them. But then they're gaining your trust. And then what they do is that they invite you into their church building or their home, and then they stab you and kill you and eat your guts. And so I literally, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when we meet, uh, you know, and one of the things Voice of the Martyrs helps us to do is we get to meet every incoming North Korean defector who comes into South Korea. We get to meet them all. And I always tell them, I say, hi, I'm Pastor Foley, and I, I want to promise you I've never eaten a North Korean's guts. You know, it's it's It's, it's not, an interesting opening to right, a conversation, it's, it's, it's isn't not it? Something I have no interest you, in eating you. <laughs> right, exactly. I, that's what I tell them. I say, look, I love North Korean food. I don't love North Koreans as food. So it is so strange what we have to do in North Korean evangelism. But, yes, it is not as simple as simply saying, let's share with them the Bible. That'll open their eyes. You know, of course, the Word of God never returns void or empty, and it's the only thing we launch by balloon. 
concerns. It's the only thing we're teaching in our discipleship basis. We only do evangelism discipleship, not human rights or humanitarian work. But all that being said, there still has to be a hand attached to that Bible, or there has to be a voice. Like for us, when we do the balloon launching, we do the radio broadcast uh, to amplify and to help them understand the context of what it is that they're reading. You and I were talking before the start of the broadcast that we produced the first ever North Korean study Bible this year. We did a Genesis in the New Testament, and this next year our goal, um, the Lord permitting, is to fill out the rest of the Old Testament. But we say study Bible. This isn't like the Schofield Reference Bible or the NIV uh, thing with a bunch of notes. This, this is like, what does the word hallelujah mean? What is Israel? What is a Jew? Those are things that uh, North Korean people have no concept of right. at all. What does amen mean? You know, what, what is this idea of 2,000 years ago? We understand that, that Jesus comes in that time period. But remember, North Korea, they don't measure time the same way we do. They measure it in Juche years, which is years since the birth of Kim Il-sung. So our study Bible would be like nothing that a Westerner has ever seen before because it just explains those things that we take for granted. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. One of the things that that this conversation brings to my mind is just the need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts and minds of North Koreans. As you say, they're starting from nothing. They're starting from no understanding. Or as my my wife likes to say, they're starting from minus. Yeah, (laughs) minus 10, now get to zero. Right. So just the need to pray, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go on. Let's talk about These Are the Generations, because uh, this is the story of one family following Christ from the time before yes. Kim Il-sung up right. to today. Why is that so unique? And, and why did okay. you feel like, hey, this story's got to be told right. because this is different from Yes. Other stories that, that we could and, tell. And that's exactly the reason why. The reason why we prayed about uh, doing this book, and it took 10 years of prayer for God to give us the right story to be able to share. Because most of the time, uh, you know, um, as you know, Todd, we, we, we only are able to share uh, in all the countries where we work a small fraction of the work that Voice of the Martyrs is doing. There's a lot of projects, a lot of activities that we can't talk about at all. Richard Wormbrand said, never lie, but that doesn't mean you have to tell everybody everything. And so uh, that's very true. <laughs> and, and we don't. Yeah, uh, that's very true in all the, the, the fields VOM operates. It's especially true in North Korea. But the problem with that is, is that there's these stories that get put out by other organizations. And I'm not going to be critical of any specific organization. But generally, people have this idea of North Korean underground Christians sneaking out of their homes at night, uh, worshiping in the forest, uh, making secret signs to signify that they're Christian. And uh, as, as we uh, begin to do research, and you, you know, you call me Dr. Eric Foley, which I still, it's funny to me to hear that. The whole reason I did the doctoral work was it was important to apply the strictest level of research methodology to what we were doing, because what we realized was that um, governments were looking at the information that we were producing. Social planners were looking at the information we're producing. But most importantly, the Church of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. was making conclusions about North Korea and how to relate to North Korea based upon what was errant information. Because North Koreans do not sneak out of their homes at night. North Koreans do not sing in whispers uh, and make secret signs. There's no evidence of that happening either at any point in North Korean Christian history across the last 70 years or across the whole field of North Korea today. So when you hear those kind of things, you know that you're, you're looking at stories that are not well-researched. Uh, the, 
there are good people producing stories like that, but they're producing it based on bad information. A lot of that is information about how North Koreans worship once they come to China, which uh, last we checked is still not a free society right. for, uh, for religious activity, and certainly for North Koreans who aren't permitted to be there legally. Do people sneak out of uh, homes or, or sing quietly there? Yeah, you sometimes see that. Inside North Korea? No, never happens, never has happened. I say that categorically, having, uh, and my wife also has her doctorate, not just the two of us, but a whole field of North Korean Christian researchers can validate that. So the question then becomes, how do they worship? What are the ways that they evangelize and disciple? They're not waiting for the regime to blow over. They're not simply trying to cut their losses, hold on to uh, what they've got. Instead, they're actively sharing their faith. I always point out to people that Christianity is growing faster in North Korea than in South Korea. Because, of course, in South Korea, we have 10 of the 11 largest churches in the world. We send out more missionaries than any other country other than the U.S., but the church has been in decline numerically since 1991, the, the Protestant church. Catholic church has grown 80% in that time period. But North Korea, the North Korean underground church is growing faster. The question is how? And, and the idea that they sneak out of their homes and whisper hymns and do secret signs would indicate that, that they have this almost this, what do you want to kind say? Kind of a siege mentality. Yeah, you know, exactly. Of... That's well put. And you do not see that among North Korean Christians. I'm so happy when I get to interview with you because you don't introduce the broadcast by saying North Korea is the worst place to be a Christian. North Korean Christians don't say that. When they pray, they could pray right in the same room as Kim Jong-un, and Kim Jong-un wouldn't know it. And the reason why is that uh, North Korean Christians, when they pray, they don't bow their head and close their eyes because that's an act of sedition, North Korea. It's easily detectable. Uh, they don't uh, say, Father, would you do this or that? But instead, I could look to you and I could say, isn't it so good that we can count on our dear leader to uh, be able to care for every aspect of our life? I know that it matters to our dear leader that uh, my my cousin is uh, struggling uh, with this illness, and can't we take comfort? That's how North Koreans pray. And what are they praying? Right. They're saying, Lord, would you please care for uh, my cousin, because my cousin is struggling with this physical ailment. Same thing's true when it comes to hymn singing, is that, remember, most of the hymns that are sung in the Juche ideology are Christian hymns. So North Koreans walk along the railroad tracks, uh, which you can, um, if it, North Korea is 70% mountains, they walk along the railroad tracks, and so you've got these mountains on either side, and so you can see that nobody is around to uh -huh. watch you. <laughs> so you sing the first two verses of the Juche version, and then when you get to verse three, you belt out the Christian version. <laughs> so this is not a church that uh, has a siege mentality. They have found ways to be openly Christian, and yet at the same time elude detection. And so one of my favorite parts of the book, you know, this is across three generations of uh, North Korean family life. And so the author, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bay, who are the uh, co-authors of the book with me, Mr. Bay is talking about his grandfather. And he remembers the first time that his grandfather said, Hananim, because North Koreans, when, when they're speaking about God in general, and they do because there's still a lot of superstition and such in North Korea, they use the, the words... They say Hanalnim. Can you tell the difference? Hanal, meaning God of the skies, versus Hana, meaning the one God. And so he remembered when his grandfather for the first time said Hananim. And he said it rang out like a shot, wow. like, a, like a, a, a gunshot had shot through the air. And so I wanted people to hear the real story because I think the real story is, first of all, it's much more bold than this idea of them sneaking out of their homes at night. People say, well, why don't they sneak out of their homes at night? The answer is because every North Korean is required to report on the activity within two homes of their own. So, of course, they report it when you sneak out of your home at night. Of course, they report it if you're hiding out under a blanket uh, with a flashlight. 
you say, well, how would they know? And the answer is because they carefully they, watch they each watch. other because their life and the life of three generations of their family depend on it. That's how serious North Korea takes Christianity is that if I didn't watch my neighbor, if I didn't watch you and it turned out you were a Christian and you were sent to a concentration camp, they wouldn't pat me on the back and say, oh, good job. They would take me to the concentration camp and three generations of my family as well. So anybody who was doing anything suspicious would be reported. So that's why North Korean Christianity is not built upon these kind of uh, surreptitious, quiet, sneaky actions. It's built instead of the fact that they've learned how to pray with their eyes open right. in the middle of an ordinary conversation. And by the way, if people want to introduce uh, North Korean Christian, underground Christian life, like, for example, in their own congregation, read your book, read These Are the Generations. But try that in your church. Try that in your family, praying with your eyes open and referring to God as if you were talking about the dear leader, because that's, of course, what they call right. Kim Il-sung. Uh, try that and practice that. And you'll see how, how challenging that is. But North Koreans become very good at that. What are some of the some of the foundational things of the North Korean church? I know you've mm-hmm. shared about these at some of our conferences and uh, the things that, that they have made really kind of the tent poles to yeah. hang their faith on. Yeah, no, it's a great uh, word to use, tent poles. Yeah, and I'll tell it in the form of a story. So it's talking to an underground North Korean Christian because, of course, our work isn't simply with people who leave North Korea, but... Voice of the Martyrs is active inside North Korea. I mean, we have we have staff there. And so they're not walking around with shirts like the right. one I'm wearing today. It's says, you know, Voice of the Martyrs. They don't so. have the logo on their right. shirts. They're, uh, they're a little quieter yeah, than right. that. But uh, so I'm talking to an underground North Korean Christian, and he says, he says I'm really fascinated by how, how uh, Christians live in the rest of the world. He said, they, they do the Lord's Prayer, right? And I said, well... Um, yes and no. Some Christians do. Some Christians don't like to do the Lord's Prayer because they think of it as kind of a dead formalism. And he looked at me puzzled and he said, well, but at least uh, though they're doing like the Ten Commandments, right? They remembered the Ten Commandments because North Korean Christian worship is structured around the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is like the order of worship. Uh, They work through each of the Ten Commandments uh, because it reminds them how to live in an idolatrous society. And don't worry that they are works righteous. They are not. because, In fact, the only way you could know how to live in an idolatrous society is because of the grace of God revealed through the Ten Commandments and the power of the Holy Spirit showing you how you're out of line with that and how to to repent from that and live in accordance with the presence of God as, as, as Hananim, the one true God. But so he said, he said, but they're still doing the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> and I said, well, no. Uh, actually, Sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I said, I said most, most Christians don't know the Ten Commandments, and the ones that do, uh, some of them believe that they don't apply to Christians. And he just looked at me shocked, and he said, he said, yeah, but they're, they're, at least they're doing the Lord's Supper, right? Because the third tent pole of the, the North Korean underground church is the Lord's Supper. And I said, well, um, they worry about it not being special. You know, they're worried about, uh, you know, people becoming too familiar with it. So they might do it once a year, uh, or uh, some, some church groups uh, don't even do that. And so exasperated, he said, well, at least, at, at least they're still doing the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> and so I had, didn't, I didn't want to break his heart, but I had to say, I said, no, you know, actually, uh, the Apostles' Creed is really rare today. And so his jaw dropped, and he said, well, what does it mean for them to be Christian? Now, before people would go to conclude and say, oh, well, you know, these brothers need to be freed from this legalism right. and formalism. No, 
understand that this is not a country where you go down to the Christian bookstore and buy Christian books and look in your Bible. They don't have any of those things. So why the Apostles' Creed? Because it acts as a theological bookshelf. It's not only with atheism and Juche that we have to deal with. You know, the Jehovah's Witness held their worldwide, at their worldwide convention in Pyongyang wow. five years ago. And so uh, the only billboard that is in North Korea that's not owned by the state is owned by the Unification Church, the Moonies. <laughs> so cults are very active. So what does the Apostles' Creed do? It allows them to be able to d discern truth from error. If it's not in the Apostles' Creed, then they don't put it in their theological mm -hmm. bookshelf. Why the Lord's Prayer? Because how would you teach people each of the aspects of how to pray if they didn't have Bibles, if they weren't able to gather together regularly? And the answer is, is that you would do what Jesus did. You'd say, okay, pray like this. Is it a magic formula? No, but from it you learn petition, you learn thanksgiving, you learn intercession. And so that's why they do it. And really, they're using it the the way, the way Christ intended. intended as, hey, this is a model. Right. You can kind of follow after this. Right. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. People say, I don't want to, I, I don't want to ruin the specialness of it. But you know, if you're in a spot, Todd, where you're not able to gather together with other believers, what does the Lord's Supper remind you? That there are other believers, and that we're part of a wider body. And the Ten Commandments again. How would you teach Christian ethics if uh, you weren't able to say, okay, open your Bibles to, you know, we're going to study to? You don't have that. And so these tent poles are, I, I like to call them zip files. You know, on a computer, a mm -hmm. zip file is how you can transfer a file, and then uh, you can transfer a big file. It makes it small, but you can unzip it and make it something large again. And so the, it's not that the Ten Commandments are the way that they work their way to heaven, but in a country where there's more than 40,000 statues of Kim Il-sung, where every day where you go to school or the marketplace, you must bow to those statues, where every week 100% of North Koreans, including the underground believers, are required to come together to worship Kim Il-sung, then the Ten Commandments become crucial to say, well, what is our relationship to our parents? North Koreans don't have the same relationship to their parents that we do in the West because parents don't give their children anything in North Korea because only Kim Il-sung can give. So the Ten Commandments are for them a lifeline, a zip file, if you will, for what does it mean to be Christian? How do I live in this society? So I think the early North Korean Christian believers in the late 1940s chose well when they chose these pillars. They said, what, what absolutely must one know in order to be a Christian? And so I find today that even though here in the U.S. the average Christian owns nine Bibles and is actively trying to buy one more, whereas biblical literacy continues to decline, the folks that we're working with in North Korea, they only know the Ten Commandments, they only know the Lord's Prayer, they only know the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Supper, and yet they know more about the Christian faith than the ordinary average American Christian. That's Dr. Eric Foley telling us how God speaks to North Korean believers, even when they don't have access to God's Word. You know, hearing Eric talk about how North Koreans appreciate God's Word, how they study the Bible, how they're passionate about the Bible. I hope that's a reminder to you. I know it's a challenge to me. Here we are in North America. We have complete freedom. Many of us have 10 or 12 or 15 Bibles at our homes, but so many of us are not as faithful as we should be to open them every day, to read them, to bathe ourselves in the Scriptures. So I hope the, the testimonies of our North Korean brothers and sisters are a reminder to you and a challenge to you to get into God's Word more passionately and more deeply in the coming year. 
If you missed any of this conversation with Eric Foley, you can always catch up with our episodes at vomradio.net. That's our website, vomradio.net. Other guests will tell you what God's doing among persecuted believers in other nations besides North Korea, nations like Iran or China or India or some of the other countries around the world. Again, check us out online at vomradio.net. Earlier on the program, you may have heard Dr. Foley mention using balloons to spread God's word in North Korea, but he didn't go into a lot of depth about that project. Dr. Foley is going to be back with us next week to tell us more about it. You can hear how we're using GPS and phone apps and weather balloon technology to deliver literally hundreds of Bibles into the nation of North Korea. Be sure and join us next week for Voice of the Martyrs Radio. 